Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. You know, it's funny, um, as a pastor, you find yourself sometimes not wanting to uh, interrupt. Like, I know I got to preach, I got some announcements to say. I just want to note that it's such a joy to be in the gathered context with God's people while God himself presences himself in the midst. I want you to know that during the band's sound check this morning, I was prepping my sermon. I always go over it one last time and I had to stop and stand up and join them in worship and I had to take my mask off because I was bawling my eyes out. And... uh, It's just so, so nice to be interrupted by the presence of God. I hope that's what happens to you today as we worship, as I preach, that your life would be interrupted by the presence of God most high. So thank you guys for leading us into God's presence. Just love you so much, appreciate you so much. Grace kids, thanks for being here in church. If you're a grace kid, why don't you wave at Pastor Todd? All across this room, hi, Grace kids. Look at all of you. So nice to see you. Thanks for coming to church, parents. Thanks for bringing your kids to church. We just really appreciate uh, the bravery that's involved there. And kids, thanks so much for how good you've been being during Pastor Todd's preaching. I know I've been saying lie down on the floor if you need to and do your coloring. That's what I used to do when I was a grace kid like you. So feel at home and thanks for being here. Parents, if you have particularly young children and uh, you know that sometimes they decide to act like powers and principalities and spiritual forces of the air. And so if that happens, I don't want you to have to feel like you need to stay in this room and have them, you know, represent. Uh, So if you need to evacuate the space, that's why we have the Parents' Lounge for you. And I'm just so thrilled to announce that today we actually have a live feed running down there in the Parents' Lounge. So we have, yeah, we clap for that. Thank you to everybody who helped make that happen. Really appreciate it. There are just so many technical details that are going on behind the scenes that you would have no idea about. And uh, I know sometimes you might think, why can't they do this? And why can't they do that? And why is it taking so long? And trust me, nobody um, wants things to happen quickly more than me. Um, and I don't mean to sound like Donald Trump when I say that. Um, I truly do want things to happen quickly. But sometimes there's complexity involved and it just takes a while. And so our team has been working tirelessly for weeks to make that happen. And so you have video and audio downstairs in the parents lounge and I visited it today for the first time I actually haven't seen it physically and man is it ever a nice space I can remember being in your stage of life with little kids and um, I would have loved to have had somewhere to uh, sit with my kids and still enjoy the service so that is available to you downstairs I want to uh, let you know about um, a need we have vis-a-vis giving back and thank you for your faithful giving over the weeks of the pandemic I guess it's months now of the pandemic I just want to urge you to continue giving. It's one of the key metrics that we're watching as a church. Um, you know, many of the churches I know are really panicking because their giving is dropping, uh, some of them significantly. For us, that's not the case, and that is because of your faithfulness. And so I want to just encourage you to not become weary in doing good and know that every single week, the first thing I check on Monday is uh, those numbers. I get an email sent to me and it lets me know how we did that week in our giving. And uh, on the weeks when we really rise up and do something outstanding, it just sets me up with joy for the rest of the week. And there are weeks when it's a bit of a challenge and I have to trust the Lord that by the end of the week we'll have had some additional monies come in. So know that that is a significant journey for us and that your faithfulness really makes a difference. One thing we're asking you to help us with this month is our coat drive. We do this every single year and the coat drive is in partnership with House 
of friendship in Waterloo. So if you have some used winter coats at home that are perhaps populated in the basement, I don't know about you, but my wife and I do two purges a year. We purge in the spring and we purge in the fall. In the spring we purge because summer's coming. In the fall we purge because winter's coming and we want the inside of our house to be as hospitable as possible. So if you're doing some purging, you have some coats you want to get rid of, give them a nice clean and bring them to church here at Grace Downtown, either on the um, 22nd, that's next week, or the following week, the 29th. If for some reason you can't get them to church and you'd like for one of our saints to pick them up, Gina Price would be happy to come and grab those. I think you can see her email there on screen. It is ginaprice388 at gmail.com. And I just want to personally thank you, Gina, for your faithful service. Gina works behind the scenes tirelessly here at Grace to be the hands and feet of Jesus. She's often the one picking things up that we send to the various organizations that we partner with here in the city and region. And so, Gina, I just see you. I just give you honor in this house. Thank you so much for your tireless efforts on our behalf. And so, yeah, we could clap for that. Her level of faithfulness is really astonishing. So uh, please help us with that. We'd like to um, get some coats to some people in need. Particularly, we need uh, men's coats, medium or larger. So if you have men's coats that are medium or larger, that would be really, really great. I want to bid you welcome to Grace Community Church. We have remarkably been seeing new people almost every week for the past month or so. People who are coming to church for the very first time in a pandemic. And we know that there are many of you watching at home for the very first time. So welcome to our church. hope that you experience the life of God in a real way today. We're continuing our series called Best Ever, exploring the book of Micah. I wanted to remind you of two things that I've been doing throughout this series, but one thing I haven't mentioned for a couple of weeks is the central conceit in the book of Micah. The name Micah is short for Mikael, who is like our God. And of course, the answer to that question is nobody. There is nobody like our God. He is the best ever. It's from that concept that I got the title for our series. I almost never pick the series titles just to try and be cool or relevant or applicable or somehow interesting to your unsaved friends, neighbors, co-workers, and peers. Although I certainly hope that as they come to taste and see that the Lord is good here with us at church, he transforms their life. But I try to pick the series titles from the book itself. And so best ever comes from the name Micah itself. Who is like our God? Nobody is like our God. He's the best ever. And here's the big idea. As you begin to walk closely with God in Christ, By the power of the Holy Spirit, your life begins to resemble his life. And if he is the best ever, then it just makes plain sense that as your life echoes his life more and more, your life becomes a best ever kind of life. That's why this series is called Best Ever. It's also a series based in a prophetic book. To prophesy means to foretell the word of the Lord. When it comes to dealing with prophecy, you need to always ask yourself two questions. One, is this for me today? I've said it every week and I'll say it every week. It's really important. Okay, what I say today may not be for you today. There might be parts that echo in your heart. If that's the case, receive it with joy. But you may be here in this room, you may be watching at home today, and the words that I'm about to preach will cut you to the heart. If you experience that today, I want to just urge you to pay attention. Because that's God speaking through me to you and for you. If God does that to you today, if he speaks directly to your heart, I want to remind you to ask the question, okay, now what? Because never does a prophetic word come without the urge to change embedded in it. God doesn't waste his word. Somebody say amen. He doesn't waste his word. So if he's speaking to you today, make sure that you pay attention and ask him, what's next? What do I need to change about my life moving forward? Does anybody ever send you on the way texts? Hey, I'm on the way. 
In my family, because of a movie that we love, we always send the on the way text, on the way. We capitalize the T-H-E. If you happen to know what movie that comes from, I give you props in this house. I won't say it because it's slightly inappropriate. On the way. Tell the wife I'm on the way. On the way. Anybody ever send you those texts? Perhaps it's your spouse. Maybe you have a close friend who sends you those kind of texts when they're coming over for a gathering as we used to do so freely and easily. I'm on the way. What's the beautiful thing about an on the way text? An on the way text brings with it hope. Why? Because your loved one is on the way. They're coming. They're arriving. You're not going to be alone forever. That's why an on-the-way text is uh, so encouraging. And it's funny, right? You wouldn't think about that, but that's why it gives you that little lift. Hey, I'm on the way. And in your soul, you're like, great! I'm not going to be alone for much longer. I'm on the way. Well, today is an on-the-way text from Micah 5. And Tricia, I don't know if my mic is exceptionally loud in the room, but uh, if you want to back it off a little bit, I'm totally okay with that. I'm having to manage my vocals because I don't want to blow everybody away. Here's Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes, and I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the works of your hands." And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. That whole second half of Micah 5, I wish I was preaching from today. That part where he calls out the remnant of Judah and then speaks, I believe, to the whole world. Telling the whole world that one day, idolatry will perish from the land. And I'm not going to preach on that section, but I wanted to just point it out to you. That you are part of that world to whom the prophet is prophesying in that moment, bringing the word of the Lord, saying that the works of your hands will no longer be an object of worship. So I just want to tell you that if a prophet was prophesying almost 3,000 years ago that one day the works of your hands will no longer be a suitable object of worship, you might as well get out ahead of the word of the Lord and quit worshiping the works of your hands now. Why should we persist in worshiping something that is not God? when God has clearly told us to stop it. So I'm not preaching on that, but that's a little uh, value-added point for you today. 
The big idea here in the first six verses of Micah chapter 5 is that the king is coming. The king is on his way. The king is on the way. The king is coming. A best ever kind of life lives with that big idea in mind. The king is on his way. The king is on his way. So, point number one, get ready together. If the king is on his way and you want to live a best ever kind of life, you should get ready together. This comes to us out of verse one. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. I love the Hebrew language because it gives to us truth that lies beneath the surface of the English one. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, is no big deal in the English, but in Hebrew, the word muster your troops is tit godedi. Goded is the word for a muster, for like a, um, a platoon of soldiers, if you will. Goded. Tit godedi means get your squad together. Gather your people and get after it. Tit godedi. It's also beautiful here that it's a female personification that's being addressed off the top. That's a little bit more rare in Jewish scripture. So if you're a lady tonight, one of the daughters of the kings, I want you to uh, celebrate the fact that you're the subject in these six verses. Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Get your people together and get to it. If you want to live a best ever kind of life, and I know that this is difficult these days, get some more togetherness in your life. I want to invite you to think, even in the midst of pandemic, how you can foster togetherness. Isn't aloneness, wave at me if you've experienced this over the past almost a year, God help us. Isn't the aloneness that comes with this pandemic one of the most difficult aspects of it? Somebody wave at me, right? It's so, I got the idea for this sermon on my power walk this week. I was walking on the sidewalk and there was a couple walking towards me and it has become our custom now to cross the street when somebody's coming towards us on the sidewalk. And I know why we do it. But it occurred to me in the moment that the ripple effect from that kind of disassociation will be with us, I imagine, for at least a generation. I imagine that for years to come, we will have to overcome this aversion we have developed in this time, especially if it continues for another year or more. This aversion that we have to physical contact, this aversion that we have to personal closeness. And again, I'm saying I understand why we're doing it, but I want to invite you in the midst of doing that for the sake of the health of our society, to find ways to still be together because the daughter of Zion is told to muster her troops and get to work. Go dedi. Get your people and get to it. Also, second point, don't uh, let trouble trouble you because there'll always be trouble. Still in verse one, the second part. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. This is one of those examples in prophetic literature where you're like, either the prophet was really prophesying or the writer of the Gospel of Mark, when he came to writing chapter 15, was reading this passage when he introduced the moment where the Roman soldiers struck Jesus on the cheek. So I acknowledge if you're a skeptic watching today that you may think that perhaps the writer of the New Testament in Mark 15 was borrowing here from Micah chapter 5. If you are, however, a believer, I just want to encourage you that Micah chapter 5 came true in Mark chapter 15. When they struck the king on his cheek. This is before they crucified him, after they had judged him with Pilate. What did they do? They took the crown of thorns, they forced it on his head, they took a reed and they struck him on the cheek. Trouble is always a part of the human story. Siege is laid against us. Perhaps you feel like your life is under attack with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Do you ever get tired by how troublesome life is? 
Was it just me? Maybe not at me. You ever get tired? It's troublesome. Traffic is troublesome. Sometimes people are troublesome. I want to urge you, by the way, here's a little pastoral non sequitur from Pastor Todd. When, not if, when you find yourself in troublesome moments within the context of this body of believers, and I know it sounds strange, but sometimes even Christians fight. Sometimes even Christians get tense with one another. Okay, I want to remind you not to overdo it. Not to overdo your reaction to the fact that you're dealing with trouble, even in the house of the Lord. Trouble is always with us. So how do you deal with it? One, you accept it. Okay, you accept the fact that trouble is a part of life. I think it's important to try and recognize as you're accepting the fact that it's always going to be there. Are you the cause of it or not? Sometimes you're the cause, and if you're the cause, you need to repent. Sometimes you're not the cause. You need to be honest about that and stop trying to control something that you can't control. Trouble is always a part of life. Accept it. And then find your way to Jesus through it. I have no answer but Jesus. I feel the urge to remind you as you deal with interpersonal trouble in your life, in your sphere of relationships, perhaps even in this church, I want to urge you to go to Jesus. I have found myself recently with our staff. I found myself recently with our board. I found myself recently with key stakeholders in this church, reminding them again and again as I remind myself daily that this comes down to the gospel, friend, and you do not have the right to be angry without control at somebody because they have done something that troubles you. Because of the gospel of Christ, because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we must repent of how we feel and walk in meekness, humility, simplicity, and love. And I acknowledge that it's not easy, but I want to remind you of the gospel of Christ. Find your way to Jesus in the midst of your trouble and then surrender. Bow the knee to Jesus. It's miraculous what happens when somebody de-escalates trouble by surrendering. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm broken. Please forgive me. Surrender. And then find your joy in a Jesus who loves you even in the midst of your brokenness. Somebody say hallelujah. Wouldn't we all be sunk if our Jesus only loved us based upon our merits? I mean, hallelujah in this house. God loves you in spite of you. So when you surrender and admit your weakness and your brokenness, immediately find your way through to joy because Jesus loves you. And then here's the most salient point. Then do his works day by day. I think this is the most important part. I think this is the part that we often forget. I want to just remind you to think of all the works that you do every day. And I want you to measure those works against the works of Christ in your life. And how much of your busyness is just worldly busyness. And how much of your busyness is directly connected to seeing the kingdom of God brought to earth in your daily life. I'm here to tell you there is a direct relationship between the amount of his work that you do in life and the amount of peace that you feel. I have never met anybody who's dealing with immense trouble in their life who is at the same time routinely walking out their day-by-day, moment-by-moment practical obedience to Christ. I know this is risky to say. I often say to people when they say, Todd, I need more pastoral care from you. I want to hear that carefully. And I often often call them to examine their life and say, listen, how busy are you with the works of Christ? I want to tell you that every time I encounter that kind of, I'm not getting enough out of this attitude. As I point that person, sometimes it's me, back to the gospel and back to the mission of Jesus. And as those people begin to walk in the mission of Jesus, all of a sudden they feel better. All of a sudden they feel like, oh, I'm good. Why? Because you're doing the works of Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to come back to the first works. 
And while you're at it, point number three, expect the unexpected. I love this out of verse two. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Little Bethlehem. In Micah's day, Bethlehem was nowheresville. Even today in Israel, Bethlehem is kind of a nasty nowheresville kind of town. When you hear the word Bethlehem as we come into the Christmas season, I want you to add a word in front of Bethlehem. Oh, unexpected Bethlehem. Nobody expected anything good to come out of Bethlehem. And so if you feel like in some ways your life is nowheresville, I just want to remind you, because of Jesus, to get ready for the unexpected to appear in your life. Think of yourself as a Bethlehemite. No one ever expected anything good to come out of little Bethlehem. And we know that the ultimate something good eventually did. So get ready because of Jesus for the unexpected. Nobody ever expected Jesus to enter into space-time history. Christmas is absolutely unexpected. We're coming into Advent season. Let me invite you in the midst of this truncated and weird Christmas season to look for the unexpected in your life because that is what Jesus came to do. And then get ready to be surprised by joy. I just want to remind you that joy is still possible in the midst of, dif- somebody receive it, in the midst of difficulty, joy is still possible. In fact, if God is real and his story is true, joy is not just possible, but joy is an imperative. And God is always working to bring joy into your life. Most of the time when we don't experience joy, it's because we're not walking with him. Think about somebody irresistible. Do you know somebody who has an irresistible level of joy that just hangs around them most of the time? You ever just kind of hang out with that person in order to get some of their joy to leak into your life? Well, God is like that times a billion. Walk with him. Experience his goodness. Be surprised by joy. And point number four, remember that impressive um, doesn't always start out that way. Still in verse two, the second part. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be amongst the clans of Judah. The word clans here is a military word, tying into the word goded, which is used off the top. And the military was hugely important in this age of the world. And if you weren't part of the military clans that protected the nation, you were kind of a second-class citizen. So Bethlehem is too little. They're so small that they can't even send any military men to serve when the muster is called from their region in Judah. That's how small, that's how nowheresville this town is. It's too little. It's too insignificant. It's too unimpressive. I want to invite you as God's church to be, receive it, the weak who shame the strong. I want to invite you to be the meek who shame the proud. I want to call you to be the seemingly foolish who shame the seemingly wise. I want to invite you to glory in being largely unknown as you make known the beauties of Christ. This is opposite game kind of living. And this is what you are called to do in the gospel. Of course, I'm echoing there the concepts out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just remind you, this is an important point. Maybe you need to receive this as the word of the Lord today. We are not playing by the normal rules. Okay, we're not playing by the normal rules. I want to invite you, in fact, perhaps urge some of you to stop judging your life by the world's standards. You are the people of God. You are meant to live like it. I said to the band before we came out to serve today that I've been being reminded of the fact that we are already now, in some sense, the glorified people of God. 
We know that we are not yet what we shall one day be, but we know that we are seated, as Jenny said off the top of the service, in Christ with God even now. That means when you are hanging out with your Godhead, with your squad from the people of God, that you are hanging out with saints. You are hanging out with people who will one day with God rule the universe. Let me invite you to treat one another with the kind of respect and honor that befits that status. Stop judging your life by the world's standards. Get your eyes on Jesus Thanks and follow this week's podcast. him I home. When you live encouraged. like that, everything else like sets itself straight. You can find all Why? Because, point number five, the hope that you have is a future hope rooted in a gospel that's about God. Still in verse two. Now the third part. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, here it is, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Here's the key point. Shall come forth for who? For me. And this is God talking. So God is here saying that the Messiah will come forth for him. This is something that we often forget. The gospel is not primarily about us. The, receive it. The gospel is about God. Okay, the gospel is about God. It's about his plan that we broke. It's about his promise to Abraham that we have been invited into. It's about his answer to our sin in Christ. It's about his story mediated through the people of Israel. It's about his ongoing work in us by his Holy Spirit for the glory of his name. The good news is about God. And what's good about that is that God never fails. He never fails. That's why the good news is good news. Because the gospel is ultimately about God. As you put your hope in God, because he never fails, neither will your hope. If you find yourself dealing with a hope that feels like it's failing, it's because you have placed your hope in the work of your hands. And when the work of your hands begins to fail, so does your hope. But receive it when your hope is placed in God. It will never fail because he never fails. I hope that somebody's receiving it today. Why does this hope never fail? Because, point number six, it has been prepared literally from forever. Still in verse two, part D. Speaking of the Messiah, one shall come forth for me. Here it is. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This brings me to the favorite quote from my master's work. It's the key thing that has stuck with me from all those years of study. Quoting Tom Torrance here, speaking about salvation. He says, you have been saved from all eternity in the heart of God the Father. You were saved in the work of God the Son, in his incarnation, in his sinless life, in his death, resurrection, and ascension. And you are being saved as you respond to the call of God the Holy Spirit to walk in that which has been accomplished for you. You've been saved from all eternity. You were saved in the work of God the Son. You are being saved as you walk by the Spirit. Friend, it's already done, so start living like it. This week, let me urge you to live like your salvation is already done. And point number seven, don't despair if you find yourself in an in-between time. I love here that the prophet takes us to the concept of an in-between time after he's already preached to us all this glory and beauty. This is what happens in verse three. Therefore, he shall give them up. Here it is. Until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. He is now going to give up his people into exile and diaspora for a time. This is a rhythm that occurs throughout the Jewish scriptures. Disobedience, exile, into diaspora, and then, praise be to God, return. This is a recurring pattern. 
Disobedience, exile, diaspora, return. I think all of life is like this. I believe that the rhythm of disobedience, exile, diaspora, and then eventually return by God's grace is the natural rhythm of things east of Eden. So do not despair if you find your life in an in-between moment. Okay, in-between moments will come. Moments of diaspora, of exile will come into your life. Just relax in the midst of it and know that your return is guaranteed. Why? Because Jesus has risen. And so in the midst of difficulty, you do not need to despair because you know that even your suffering won't be wasted. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out in our hearts. Friends, even your suffering will not be wasted because hope does not disappoint. And band, you can join me because I'm almost done. This brings me to the most important point in the whole sermon. I know that sometimes when I say that you can have hope, you feel doubt. I just want to say if that's you today, that's okay and that's normal. So I'm going to give you here one last hooray as we close this service. Hopefully one last hooray that will echo in your heart throughout today and the week to come. Something that will give you hope. Why can we have hope? Hear me, church. Point number eight, because we are on our way home together. I get this from verse three, part C. Then the rest of his brothers, hear it, shall return to the people of Israel. Okay, this is the hope that the rest of the brothers of the exiled ones, so not just the one who'd been exiled, but all of his exiled family, the rest of his brothers will return. To whom? They will return to the people of Israel. Here's the big hopeful take-home point today. We are returning home to the eternal people of God in the midst of the company of the temporal people of God. This means you need to love, respect, enjoy, and embrace the people of this church whom God has brought you into relationship with. Yes, in the midst of their weakness, their difficulty, and all their human frailty, these are the only people of God that you've got. And you are headed home with this temporal people of God to the eternal people of God, which means you are already not alone. You are already, in some sense, home. So let's start treating each other like we are the glorified people of God. Let's start cherishing one another as if we are already home in glory. Let's treat one another with the kind of respect, the kind of joy, the kind of all-encompassing embrace that befits the daughters and sons of the high king of heaven. This is a high standard. And this is one that if you have fallen short of, you must repent of. And I just want to say that there is always room in God's economy for repentance. To come home again and again and again and to surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I blew it this week. I treated your people as if they were not the people of God. Lord, mend my heart and help me to see these gathered temporal people as the gathered people of God with whom I will share eternity someday. Why? Because of Jesus, point nine, who is your peace and point 10, your deliverer. 
Let me close with verses 4 through 6. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Here it is. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian. Friends, you serve a Jesus who is your shepherd. You serve a Jesus who is strong. You serve a Jesus who is majestic. And because of this, you are secure in him because he is great and he is your peace. So why should a best ever kind of life be categorized by hope? Well, friend, because your deliverer is on the way. And somebody said, hallelujah. Amen, amen.